All right, good to see everyone. Uh, you can open your Bibles or you can use the text that you have before you. But the text you have before you is chapter 8 of Daniel. And we still need to finish the last part of chapter 7. Plan is tonight that we will finish, finish the interpretation of the vision in chapter 7. And then we will do chapter 8. And uh, if anyone keeps me from doing that, thou shalt have great wrath coming down from one of the angels. It's something like that. I'm trying to quote some part of Daniel. It doesn't, it's not working real well there. At any rate, uh, very good. You might remember then in chapter 7, uh, Daniel, beginning in chapter 7, Daniel is having his own dreams. Chapters 1 through 6, kings were having dreams and he's interpreting, but now in chapter 7 and following, he is going to have his dreams and angels will interpret those dreams for him. So in chapter 7, we saw that we had a dream of four beasts rising up out of the sea. Uh, as we noted even in chapter 2 with the great image, those four beasts represent four great empires that he pretty well labels for us, uh, kingdoms that reign over the whole earth. And remember we have Babylon, which was going on at the time Daniel is uh, in, in uh, Babylon. And then after that, Medo-Persian Empire, and then the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. And during the days of the Roman Empire, Daniel 2 said, that's when God would set up his kingdom, and it would be an everlasting kingdom, and all of the kingdoms would fall to that. Uh, in chapter 7, we have these same four empires, except depicted as, as beasts. And so let's go down to verse uh, 19, uh, or verse 15, as, the, as Daniel uh, now uh, asks that the dream be interpreted for him. Uh, so as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me, within me was anxious, and the visions in my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings, later spoken of as kingdoms in verse 23, who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. Now, um, that's just a summation. He just, the angel just gives Daniel a quick summation, four kingdoms, and uh, that rise up, but then the saints will receive the kingdom. Then you notice verse 19, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left over with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I look, this horn made war with the saints, and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. All right, so you might remember from last week, what we talked about is when you get to the fourth kingdom, which is what kingdom? 
Rome, Roman Empire. And so when you get to Rome, then, then he says that's a different one. That, that one, that beast is different than all the ones before. And we'll notice why. And, and, and then he also says that there were uh, ten kings that rose up in this Roman Empire kingdom. Ten kings rose up. And then there were uh, three that fell before a little horn and eleventh that rose. Uh, excuse me, yeah, an 11th that rose up. And that one is really mean and goes off and persecutes saints, uh, persecutes Christians like crazy and, and kills them and tramples them and all of this. And that all takes place until God steps in. That is the idea what we saw up to verse 22. I'll, I'll get your question in just a second, but let's see the overview. Verse 23, and he, thus he said, as for the fourth beast... There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample down and break in pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings." Right. It, it just so happens, by the way, and, uh, you know, when he says there'll be 10 kings, most of the time when you're reading apocalyptic literature and you see these numbers, you automatically think symbolic. But in this particular case, he specifies this is, these, these 10 horns are 10 kings and then another one's going to rise up. And it just so happens when you start with Augustus Caesar, who's the first emperor, and you count all the way to uh, Emperor Titus, that's 10 kings. And then the following is Domitian, who's the 11th, and Domitian starts a worldwide persecution against Christians. It just matches. <laughs> so it's really hard not to say, I would suppose these ten horns are literally ten kings and you can actually count them and then the next one that rises up is different and he's going to put down three before him and he is going to take off and he's going to start a worldwide persecution, Roman persecution all over against Christians, which by the way sets us up, this chapter sets us up for our study in a revelation when we get, Lord willing, after the first of the year. Okay, so you remember this little part, because Revelation is going to talk about these same kings. Revelation is making a number of comments that fit in with what we see here in Daniel. Okay, so far so good. Any questions, comments up to that point? I know I'm moving a little fast. Nope. Just went a little fast. <laughs> good? All right, yeah. Augustus through Titus. Yeah. Um, oh, excuse. Yes, Augustus through Titus. That's right. And, and you would see Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, Galba, Otho, Vitellius, Vespasian, uh, Titus, and then Domitian starts his reign in 81 A.D. And he is the one who is in the book of Revelation referred to as the eighth because he doesn't count the three that were cast down. You don't need to get into that yet. We'll get, we'll get that there. <laughs> Throw out a whole bunch of cuckoo things here. Okay, saw that, yeah. Why did you, why did you not start with Julius Caesar? Because he wasn't an emperor. Okay. Yeah, the, he, Augustus is counted as the first emperor of the empire. That's a good question, good question. Okay, um, all right. 
so uh, uh, we get down to verse 25. Uh, and he shall speak words. This is this, this ten, the 11th one, the one rose up last. He shall speak words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Like my mother used to say, she'd wear me out. And shall think to change the times and the law. Okay, notice that little statement there. He's gonna, he wants to change the times and the law. And as you see in the rest of this, uh, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time, but the court shall sit in judgment. Uh, he's attempting, basically, with changing times and law, he's attempting to overthrow God and cast down the power and authority of God. And we see that cl more clearly in the book of Revelation. But that's, that's what he's trying to do lifts himself up that way. Uh, you will also, and you want, might want to make a little note here, of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the first 11 verses will speak of this same guy. Okay? He'll be called there the lawless one who exalts himself above all, uh, all above God and above every thing. And, uh, and he parallels then is what we're going to see in Revelation. Okay, that was 2 Thessalonians 2, first 11 verses. All right, so we're yes? About here. We're still talking about Domitian, that's right. We're talking about the guy who, who starts the persecution. Now, some people would say, well, what about Nero? He did a persecution too. He did, but his persecution was personal, and it was just in the Roman city of Rome. And, and in fact, in Revelation, we'll talk about this a little bit more, because Domitian... Uh, picks up where Nero left off, but Domitian makes it empire-wide instead of, and it's not personal with Domitian, it is, it is an empire-wide law. Drew. So, we have the benefit of hindsight, and I think this section in talking about beasts and visions and horns and things like, we don't read a lot of other sections of scripture that talk like this. Self-revelation. Sure, right. <laughs> uh, I think it's just interesting, this level of specificity written so long before these things would have happened yeah. is a proof that God has inspired and, and written some yeah. of this. And that, that has, like, maybe if you can speak just briefly on like maybe some speculation to people around the book of Daniel or other things saying like, oh, well, this couldn't have been written this early because there's no way that people could know specifically that all these things would happen. So it has to be written right. after the fact. Right. And, and I, I, that, would, that would, you know, to answer that fully, it would be more lengthy. But you're right. People come in and they, you know, uh, critics of the Bible want to come in and take this and go, well, obviously Daniel was written much later than we think. And Daniel is speaking of something he already knew happened because it had already happened and all that. Well, the problem is then you call Jesus a liar. Uh, because Jesus refers to Daniel and refers to it very, very specifically as to the things that Daniel foretold concerning the fall of Jerusalem. And that is a major part of, of this book. Uh, but anyway, it is great evidence uh, to think. The, the cool thing about this, and we're going we're to see this in chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11, 
Daniel speaks detailed history before it happens, describing what takes place between kings and Greece and, uh, and the outcome of the Grecian Empire and up to the beginning of the Roman Empire in that 400-year silent period in which we say God didn't talk from 400 B.C. Uh, down to uh, the time of Christ. But in these next chapters, he's going to just detail out in incredible detail the history, the political history of that time concerning around Palestine, not the whole world. Okay? We good? Okay, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's go on there. Notice in verse 25, this is given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. When, you, when we get to the book of Revelation, you're going to see that used quite often. Uh, any, any period of time that's three and a half. Time, times, and a half a time, or 42 months, or three and a half years, or 1260 days, all the same length of time. And he'll use all those different numbers to refer to a period of time of great trial. Um, remember Elijah prayed that it would not rain, didn't rain for three and a half years? There you go. Time of great trial. Remember the number seven is God's favorite number. Half of it is God's unfavorite number. <laughs> Three and a half. And so this is when trials come. And you'll always see it attached to various uh, trials. We'll talk more about numbers, symbolic numbers, when we get to Revelation right now. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. All right. So they begin given over then into, uh, into to, to this uh, evil uh, horn who wears them out during this time. Obviously, God is the one who's in control, and God gives him the power to do it. So that's interesting. It's not like God's not in control, but the persecution that this king does is by the allowance of God. God allows it to take place, just like he allowed trials to take place for Job and trials to take place for us. All right, so we're learn this is an important time to learn. Why does God do those things? What are we to learn from it? What are the people to learn from it? And we'll see even more of that in Revelation. Verse 26, but the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. You might remember back in the vision, it was in 13 and 14, verse, verse 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, his kingdom one, which shall not be destroyed. So here's the enthronement of Jesus, and Jesus is going to be the king, and then Jesus is going to take this, basically take this guy out. And that transfers again to what happens in the book of Revelation, where Jesus does just that. He takes out these persecuting uh, emperors. All right, verse 27, 28, then we'll talk any questions you want. Uh, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, verse 27, you're going to see allusion to that, near quotation of that, uh, 
when we get again over in Revelation, I think Revelation 11 mentions this same exact thing where eventually the kingdom is given to the saints and the saints are going to prevail and the nations will not prevail. Now, if you know Psalm 2, you know this is a great summary of the battle where nations rise up and, and against God and they say, we're not going to let your Christ be enthroned. We are going to fight against him. We're not going to let him be king. We're going to be king. And God laughs at them and says, in spite of what you say, this day I've begotten my son. And then he speaks of Jesus crushing these kingdoms that, uh, that rebel against him. So Psalm 2 is a good um, parallel uh, to this chapter. All right, questions. Any questions about this? Uh, anyway, I'll follow that. David Lee. Is there something we should be taking away that this fourth horn is mentioned as the, a small horn? Is there something that we should be thinking about that, that is well, as a small yeah, horn? Yeah, what we should be taking away from this, first and foremost, is God, in his mercy and grace, is giving us a warning. He's giving Christians a heads up. This is going to take place just like he gave us a heads up in chapter 2 of when his kingdom was going to start during the days of the fourth kingdom, Rome. His kingdom is going to start and it will eventually crush and destroy all those other kingdoms. In the same way, he's, he's pointing out now, just be reminded this isn't going to be a piece of cake. It's not going to be an instantaneous. Like the, you know, the premillennial doctrine has for years said, oh, Christ comes, pow! <laughs> Well, that's not what he's saying here. You, the saints are going to get worn out. There's going to be all this. There's going to be persecution like crazy. And then eventually God is going to take this out and give the kingdom to the saints and destroy these, uh, these, these emperors. But it also, it, it gives us a heads up, a warning uh, that we don't need to lose hope. That's going to be one of the keys, not here, but also in the book of Revelation. Get ready for persecution. Do not lose hope. Jesus keeps saying, I have the keys to death in Hades. If they kill you, it's okay. I let you out. <laughs> we will reign. Don't worry about it. I think the third thing about this. It's hard for us who live in such a comfortable day to think about the reality of this and therefore not prepare well. Our comfortable life can change on a dime and we need to be aware of that and we need to be doing what we ought to do to strengthen our faith, to continue to prepare our minds. What if? What if? What if? How am I going to respond? What if? In the, in the first and second, third centuries, Christians fell away a lot because of the threat of death. Because they weren't ready. Just like Peter wasn't ready for what was going to happen that night and said, I won't deny you. But he did. We have to get our mind ready. How am I going to respond when I'm challenged about my belief? This is already happening in places in the world, not third world countries. It's happening in Canada. I've mentioned this to you before. It's happening in little pockets of places. It's happening in, in uh, 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 career job things. It's happening in corporations. It's happening. The government right now has been using 
large corporations to get across what they want to get as far as this kind of stuff. And you need to be aware. You need to be ready. How am I going to think about it? You don't need to be worried about it. Just how am I going to answer? How am I going to handle this? How am I going to handle when my job is at stake if I don't fill in the blank? So we, we have to make sure we're ready for this. This is... This is, this is what all these things are about. It can happen again. It's not that it's just over. Okay. Anything else? Chapter 7. All right. Chapter 8. Pretty simple chapter. Not, not uh, complicated, which is the reason I think we can mostly cover it. And that's where your, uh, the sheet I've handed out to you. There's a lot of historical facts here. And that's the reason I gave you a supplement for your booklet. <laughs> but this little supplement will help you so that you don't have to try to write down all of these things. Because that would be pretty impossible. So I thought it would just be helpful if you had it. So let's begin eight chap- chapter 8, 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. So we're looking at about 550 uh, B.C. right here. About 550 B.C., a couple years after the vision of chapter 7. Uh, <clears throat> He says, and I saw in the vision, and when I, I and when, excuse me, I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, it's the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli, uh, Uli Canal. Now, notice, it seems that he's in Susa in the vision, not in Susa literally. When I saw in the vision, I was in Susa. So Susa is about 200 miles from Babylon, and uh, no explanation is really given if Daniel is there or not there. I think he's not there. I think that's just part of the vision. Okay, and uh, then notice in uh, verse 3, I raised my eyes and I saw, and I behold a ram standing on the bank of the canal, and it had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Now, of course, if you skip down and to verse 20, you would see who this ram is. It's Media and Persia. Which one would be the higher horn? Can't hear it. Speak up. Persia. Persia is the higher horn. Uh, the Medes are the lesser. Persia is the higher. And in fact, it's, it's eventually just called the Persian Empire. They're the, they're the more powerful. All right. Uh, so, so that's who this is. There's that's, that's no problem. He tells us plainly in verse 20 who that is. Okay. Uh, so then... Uh, verse 5, as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west. Okay, so think of the west over near Greece, Rome, all that stuff. Came from the west and across the face of the earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him in, in his powerful wrath. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram 
him from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. All right, so who's the, who's the goat with the powerful horn? Alexander the Great with the kingdom of Greece. Notice how angry he is. We know historically that he uh, held a bitterness against the Persian Empire, uh, Xerxes and Darius the first, and Xerxes the first, who had attacked Greece and tried to take them. Uh, in fact, one of those is during the time of Esther. But he knows about this. It's, of course, didn't happen in his life. But he knows about this, and he is extremely angry, and he vows that he is going to go, and he is going to wipe those Persians out. And so that's that idea of wrath. He's just enraged, and he goes, and he just destroys them. But, but then, by the way, you notice how he, he uh, goes across the whole earth without touching the ground. What would that imply? Pardon? I couldn't hear you. Speed, thank you. Yeah, he's going across. He does it quickly. He's able to conquer the world in no time. Uh, started at age 23, I think, and uh, by the time he hits 30, he, he's got the world. And so it's, wow, just uh, really, really takes control of everything with his powerful wrath. Um, and then you notice when he's really strong, he's broken. Alexander the Great went to Babylon after conquering everything, age 32, uh, got very, very sick and died. Boom. There goes your fancy-dancy empire. And it, his empire then was divided up into his four major captains. And that's what you're seeing here with the four conspicuous horns. Um, and uh, I think I've listed those uh, four captains for you on down, or where, where is it on the left there? Um, yes, uh, in the blue. After the death of Alexander, his empire was divided between four captains. Lysimachus took Thracia. Cassander took Macedonia. Seleucus I, Nicator, took Babylon, Syria, and Asia Minor. And Ptolemy took Egypt and Palestine. Now, I'll tell you the two guys we're most interested in here. We're most interested in uh, the, Seleucid, the Seleucids uh, who took um, Assyria and Asia Minor and Ptolemy who took Egypt. Those guys are going, to, are going to have kings come after them that are going to affect Palestine. We'll talk about that just in a second as the prophecy goes on. Okay, so these four conspicuous horns now are going to take, are going to divide the empire up uh, between themselves. Verse 9, out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Okay, now we have a little horn. He comes up from the Seleucids. Uh, and he is really, really powerful, and we know him. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes meaning the illustrious God. Does he have any arrogance? <laughs> yeah, I think so. So he really thinks highly of himself. The illustrious God. And so Antioch, Antiochus Epiphanes. By the way, is the word Antiochus ring a bell? 
city of Antioch in Syria. It becomes the center of Gentile Christianity. It was named after Antiochus because he established the city. Nanny, nanny. <laughs> it's now following Christ. So very, very interesting there. Okay? And uh, all right, so we'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute. Uh, so this little horn is, is going toward, he's great toward the glorious land. That would be Palestine, right? Where the Jews are. It grew great even to the host of heaven and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him and the, the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. Anybody want to take a wild guess on that one? What does he do? Yeah, what he does, he doesn't actually destroy the temple, but he defiles it. So he comes in and uh, he does this in 167 uh, B.C., and he gets very, very angry. In fact, you got a little history here on their side note here. He gets very, very angry because the Jews try to throw him out. And he, he, he goes in and he just starts killing thousands of them. Uh, he takes and offers pigs as sacrifices on the altar in the temple. Uh, he forces people to become Gentiles. He refuses circumcision. He tries to overthrow the entire faith of Israel. Tries to decimate it. So he, if, he, if he has his way, there will be no Israel left when he gets done. Which is exactly the in a little different way, but it's still the same. Same in some ways is exactly the cry of the Palestinians right now. We want to obliterate, and even some in this country want to obliterate Jews off the face of the earth. And, and so that's the, it's, it's very, very similar uh, to that. Not that this prophecy is about what's happening today. Okay? And so the regular burnt offering is taken away at century, the sanctuary overthrown. So for uh, three, over three years, uh, the Jews cannot worship. Because he has the power there, and he's taken control uh, of this. Okay, and then verse 12. Oh, by the way, uh, notice this idea. He's rising up even as great as the prince of the host. So I, I would say the prince of the host is probably God here, or it could be the chief angel. Michael is talked about, talked about in chapter 10 as, as one of the chief princes of the armies of God. So maybe the strength that he has or a period of time has this great strength. He's able to challenge everybody, the spiritual forces, whatever. Him being the prince of the host. Yeah, yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, it's, it's talking about the, uh, the righteous, the is, Israel, or, or you know, they're speaking of it as uh, the prince of the host of Israel is the idea. Okay? All right, and then verse 12, And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Why is this uh, little horn uh, allowed to do this, according to that verse? Yeah. 
Yeah, because of the transgressions in Israel. Because Israel, they, they still have not learned to worship God the way he's told them to worship. By the way, strong message. God has always whacked his people when they don't worship the way he tells them to worship. Uh, I.e., picture of what Leviticus talks about, everything has to be holy, and holy is what God commands, and everything that's not what God commands is unholy. So this is the same kind of thing. They're still in the midst of transgression, even though they believe in the one true God, and they only worship the one true God, and they don't have idols, but they're, they're far from being the people of God. And we're going to see that more as Daniel goes on. Okay, and so because of transgression, he's able to do this. Verse 13, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, the giving over of the sanctuary, and the host to be trampled underfoot? Because the host here is again Israel. And he said to me, for 2,300 evening and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Always reminds me of my grandson, Wade, who, uh, how many sleeps am I going to stay with you? You know, well, you're going to stay three sleeps. Okay, very good. He can understand how many sleeps. He can understand days, but sleeps he can get. Well, so here, 2,300 evening and mornings, which, by the way, is about the time period between 167, if you count those as days, about the time period of, uh, actually, there's two time periods. You'll notice I, I put a little explanation there, didn't I? Uh, down where? Very, very bottom of that second page. Evenings and mornings, two possibilities. If referring to days, then the length of time was between 170 when the high priest was assassinated and 164 when the temple was cleansed. If 2300 evening and morning sacrifices, then half the number in days, which would extend from 167 when an altar to Zeus was set up until the cleansing of 164. So take your pick. Uh, commentaries, uh, commentators uh, argue both ways and both sound good. <laughs> And then you could just argue a third way and go, 2300 was a symbolic number that included these period, this period of time. So have at that too. At any rate, it is pretty close when you, uh, when you number it that way. And during that time, as we said, the sanctuary is going to be closed down and uh, offerings cannot be uh, given. All right, verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard the man, a man's voice between the banks of Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Anybody know Gabriel? Boy, Gabriel, you're old. Woo! <laughs> 600 years later, Gabriel's appearing to Zacharias and appearing to Mary. <laughs> That's too cool. Uh, I just think that that connection is, is something. Uh, so verse 17, so he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Okay, so uh, let's just notice that. Now, uh, again, read in context. There's lots of times of the end in Scripture. Like in the book of, Revel book of uh, Matthew, Matthew 24, when Jesus speaks of the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of Israel, he refers to it as the time of the end. 
Daniel refers to the time of the end in, in a similar way toward the end of the Israel nation. And you'll see this also in chapter 10, verse 14, etc. He is leading up, and chapter 12 will seal this, he's leading up to the end of Israel, to the end of the nation. Not the end of all Jews, but the end of the nation. It will come to an end. And Jesus references chapter 9, 24 through 27, and refers to that end when Jerusalem falls. And refers to it when the Roman abomination of desolation makes the city desolate and the nation desolate. So a lot of boop, 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 quick facts out there, but we'll sort these out as, as we go, okay, as we get a little further in the book. So that's the idea. This is the appointed time of the end. Verse 20, and as for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Now just imagine Daniel hearing this. It's, it's, five, it's about 530, about 550 B.C. And it's talking about how many years in advance? Yeah. 200, 250 years in advance. He's talking all the way up to 332, which is the time of Alexander the Great. And he's back here in 550. So you have all this time, and, and you can just imagine Daniel going, oh, my brain is getting scrambled. What in the world? All these nations coming and going. Now, at first, when we get to chapter 9, you're going to see the first thing that happens is, is Daniel researches the book of Jeremiah and discovers that the 70 years is up and God's going to release Israel out of captivity. But he's just seen this vision and now he knows they may be released, but peace is far from, <laughs> from coming now. It's, it's, uh, there's still going to be a lot of trials coming and the, the nation is going to deal with it too. Uh, correct. Good point. I had never thought about that. Yeah, the temple that will be defiled later on. And so here's, da here, that's another great thing. So Daniel's listening to this and he goes, huh, the temple's going to be rebuilt. <laughs> but, but yeah, temple isn't rebuilt till 516. So Daniel would be dead by that time, but the temple uh, exactly uh, will be built. Cool, cool thought. That's great. Okay, uh, so um, you have uh, verse 22. And as for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from this nation, but not with his power. Okay, so these four kingdoms come out of these four captains, but not with the power that Alexander had. And at the en latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, so uh, you would say these four nations that have come out, their transgression is going to be great, and when it's reached their limit, you know, here's God going, okay, a little longer, a little longer, that's enough. <laughs> Take them out. That's enough. So, you know, it's, it, isn't this interesting? You're getting to know God a little bit here. How's God reason? We think, why didn't you do something nice? Hang on. A little longer, a little longer. When I hit the limit, then, we'll, then you'll notice. I'll do something, Drew. specific things that specific people would do. 
Yeah, so uh, God is able to predict these things. Remember, um, first off, God uses evil all the time. God used the evil of the ten sons of Jacob in order to save the nation. Uh, it isn't that he made them do the things they did to Joseph, anything like that, but he uses evil to bring about his will, and, uh, and, and he can uh, influence He's not going to violate free will, but he can certainly influence. He influences Pharaoh. Uh, he, he, he wants his name to go out through the whole world by whacking the fire out of Egypt. And he raises Pharaoh up to be king because he knows Pharaoh's as stubborn as a mule. And when he tells him to do something, he's going to buck up against him. And God goes, fine, that's just what exactly fits into my plan. <laughs> So, so yeah, all kinds of things. You you might you might walk we might walk out in front of this building, and see somebody uh, driving by at uh, 150 miles an hour, and some stop cars right up here, and you can go. Well, there's going to be a big wreck. It didn't mean you caused it, <laughs> but you could easily predict it. That'd be the thing. Uh, quickly. Yeah. From every from the very beginning, isn't it? Yeah. From yeah. The very That's right. Let's finish. Let's finish then real quickly. Uh, notice then uh, verse 23. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles shall arise. Now here's Antiochus Epiphanes. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. Okay. God's allowing him to have this. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints, or as you see other versions read, holy people. Uh, and he's going to do this, um, people of the saints, by, did I maybe not type that totally in? Or somehow it missed verse 24, he shall appear when the people, no, I got it. Okay, and the people, he'll destroy the mighty men and the people of the saints or the holy people. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind he should become great without warning he shall destroy many and he shall even rise up against the prince of the princes and he shall be broken but by no human hand God's going to do it the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now so I have you know 200 plus years so just seal it up we don't talk about it anymore right now it's uh, it's going to be for that time and then of course Daniel he says he's overcome and lays sick for some days. This really is like, whoa, this is, this is just terrible. He's appalled by this vision. And I want to make one, one quick point. And by the way, there's a lengthy, you see on that second page in red, a lengthy historical writing concerning what Antiochus Epiphanes does. So you can read that and you can see exactly the things that took place. Here's a little heads up. When he refers to the quote-unquote saints here in this text and the holy people, he's not talking about Christians. He's talking about Israel prior to Christ, and they're wicked, but he refers to them as the holy people. That's what there should be, and we're going to see these holy people get persecuted terribly because they're sinners, and they're not obeying God, and so you want to watch that as you read it, whether translated saints or holy people. It's not meaning they're great. It's meaning he's identifying them as the Israel nation.
Got it? Okay, good. I don't know what we're doing next Wednesday night, but I kind of hope we're on studying Daniel. But a lot of you may be gone. I don't, I don't know what the elders have planned. They may have planned a Thanksgiving uh, service. So what you're saying in chapter 7? Chapter 7 is different because that's going after Christ. That comes down after Christ. This is talking about that interim period that's leading up to that end. So you have to... So definitely the saints in chapter 7 is talking about... Christians, yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. You guys are great. We did it. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha.